out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening will be nice. Hour two of the Friday crew. Glad you can be joining us. Jake Schmidt, Christian Vasquez, K.R. Pallant, Doug Willig, Ronnie Walenta, and Jared pushing the buttons. And I want to get into some NFL talk a little bit uh, just because it's a day after the Eagles traded Carson Wentz to the Colts uh, for two picks, a third-round pick this year and then a conditional second-rounder uh, in two year, in a, a next year in the 2022 um, draft. Uh, but there's still a lot to unpack um, with the NFL, there's still a lot to go on. Uh, just moments ago, a couple hours ago, the, it was announced that the Eagles had released Deshaun Jackson after two seasons, and he wants to play in 2021. He's on the market as well. He was due $9 million in non-guaranteed salary. He's 34 years old. Uh, he took to Instagram saying, Philadelphia, it's always love. Looking forward to my next chapter as well. Um, he's saving the Eagles roughly $4.8 million in cap space. The Eagles are way over, obviously, with that Wentz contract, and that's eating up a lot of their uh, dead cap as well. So there's expect more moves like these as well. He was his, he came back to the Eagles um, in the second stint from Tampa. Uh, he caught three touchdowns combined between 2019 and 2020. He didn't really have the productive output that we uh, Eagles fans expected him to have, um, but also noted, uh, the Panthers are going to release veteran safety uh, Trey Boston, um, who started 16 games last season, which is another interesting as well. A lot of teams trying to move up some cap space. Um, what do you guys think of all this stuff as we continue to break down the quarterback carousel and all the different players that are looking to make uh, new teams elsewhere? Uh, I'll touch on Carson Wentz first. I think that, you know, it's interesting to see him go to Indy. But, you know, working with Frank right there, you know, he was his OC in uh, Philadelphia in 2017, I believe. And now it's his head coach. So that's kind of like an interesting pairing for Carson Wentz. I think that, you know, if there's a situation where he could begin to play better, maybe it'll be there. I know 2020, like he hasn't been as good the last season. His numbers were down a lot across the board, but he was playing very well at like the beginning of his career. So I think 2020 or 2021, I should say, will be an interesting season with Carson Wentz to see if he can kind of develop into a pretty quality, you know, star, whatever you want to call it, quarterback, or if he's kind of going to become a backup. It's kind of like it's going to be an interesting year because a lot of people, I think, have ridden him off. And then and this isn't with the quarterback carousel, but uh, referencing to Sean Jackson, I'm interested to see where he goes. I know that. You know, like you mentioned, only 30 or only 23 receptions over the last couple of years. He hasn't even, you know, only a, only one touchdown last year. He's had trouble with injuries, hasn't gotten a lot of playing time. I don't know if he'll get another contract. I mean, I think he will. Not sure where it will be, but uh, like I'm excited to see where he goes. Yeah, Doug, to touch on yeah. the uh, Carson Wentz point, I personally feel like Carson Wentz is going to have a Ryan Tannehill-type career revival in Indy. He's going to a much more balanced team, good defense, good offensive players. So I can definitely see Wentz turning it around. And the Colts are a good team. They'll probably make the playoffs. So the question will be, how far can Wentz take them? Because if Wentz plays like he used to back in the day, then they have a very, very good quarterback on their hands. And with Deshaun Jackson, I think maybe he has a little more in the tank. He's still a deep threat. So I'm sure a contender might want to take a swing at him and hope he's got some more juice left in his legs. But I don't think that Deshaun Jackson can just go to a team and just change the whole wide receiver core dynamic. He's just, he'll go to a contender who is in need of a deep threat and hopes that he can have a little more uh, production towards the end of his career. Yeah, I think that's the right way to talk about it as well. I mean, he's a little bit older as well. Um, but he's he's older. Um, he's not as mobile as he was. Um, you know, we're still waiting to see what happens with Deshaun Watson um, or even Sam Darnold um, as well. That's definitely happening. Um, the the NFL also the Cardinals general manager said that they're rejecting the idea of cutting Chandler Jones. The Cardinals are now looking at uh, trying to take a swing at JJ Watt as well, given that uh, they have that connection 
um, between uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, who made like a social media kind of campaign for J.J. Watt to bring him there as well. Um, you know, we know that J.J. Watt wants out. He's going to be out. Um, he's out. So where do you guys think J.J. Watt goes? What do you think about Deshaun Watson? Because this is a lot. Uh, Allen Robinson as well. There's supposed to be some sign and trade destinations for Allen Robinson. They're not the Bears aren't expected to pick up that contract too. Yeah, I know we talked about uh, a little bit about JJ Watt last time. Um, I know obviously Christian would want everybody here to say Green Bay. Obviously, that makes a lot of sense with the Wisconsin connection, um, as he had pointed out. Um, and then. Uh, as, as for Arizona, I mean, I think that that's a destination that makes sense. I think there's a lot of teams that make sense. Um, I don't think this one will happen, but I think for me, I mean, the team that might need him most is a team that was in the Texans division in the Titans um, just because of their their uh, inability to get to the quarterback last year. I mean, they I feel like they have a pretty well-rounded team um, other than that, and they just really weren't able to get a whole lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So, I think that um, if there if there wasn't that whole Titans Texans thing, and I don't think JJ Watt will pick the Titans, I think that that one makes a lot of sense to me. And then we talked about the Steelers, obviously, with uh, TJ Watt, and uh, how that might um, incentivize him to go there as well. So there's there's a lot of locations where JJ Watt can go. I think the best part about it is, I mean, JJ Watt's been such a respectable player um, for his entire career, and um, he's really was the face of Houston. I mean, I mentioned last week how much I despise Houston. Um, so I'm very happy that uh, J.J. Watt's getting out of that city. Um, that, again, after that air quotes world championship for the Astros, uh, they've really mm-hmm. gone downhill. And and uh, I'm happy for J.J. Watt that he gets to choose his own destination, that um, the Texans, I think, really did, did him a favor there where they're not just going to uh, sign him in, or will not sign him but trade him um, to another team. So I think uh, I think there's a lot of spots where he could fit. Um, I think they're even even the the well I don't think he'll sign with the Giants just because they have their own defensive line um, players that are going to be free agents like Leonard Williams and uh, and uh, Dalvin Tomlinson. But um, I think there's a lot of places that make sense for him. Um, and as for Carson Wentz to Indy, I, I think. Uh, there's a lot of upside there. I, I think that they're buying low on him. I don't think they gave up a whole lot, um, which makes sense. And uh, they're they're betting on him. And I'm sure Frank Reich had a whole lot of a lot to do with um, the the Indianapolis Colts taking a chance on him. So I think both of those guys have, um, or he has a lot of upside. As does Deshaun Jackson. I think he's always been a player with a lot of upside, with a lot of speed. It's just that. Once you get into your mid thirties, you're just you just don't have that same kind of kick to you um, that you did early on in the career. So he's always been a deep threat, and that's been his game. So it's going to be very difficult for him to change that, and I think that that's gonna that's gonna make it difficult for him. And then uh, final player with Deshaun Watson, I I just think that um, I I feel like the Texans ownership have already spoken on it. It's kind of crazy to think that maybe Deshaun Watson stays in Houston, but we mentioned it last week. I mean. They don't seem like to have an intention to trade him. I think that maybe that could just be lip service, but um, there's a lot of teams that make a whole lot of sense. And um, I brought up last week, I, I like both the Broncos and the 49ers. I think both teams make a lot of sense. I think both teams have good young pass catchers. They have good young offenses. Um, but I think the Broncos make more sense just because of the way that um, San Francisco runs an offense with Kyle Shanahan. They're going to be running the ball a lot and they're, they're looking for a lot of structure. Deshaun Watson is more of a, gunslinger he's going to run around the uh, the field the entire time he's going to scramble so to me I like a team like the Broncos um, not a system team like the Dolphins or the 49ers but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they also made a bid for him as well I'll you know I completely one. go ahead now you take it you take it I was going to say, I completely agree. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, somebody throws a bid on any of the players um, that are mentioned. And listen, if I'm an owner or a coach of any of the NFL teams, um, I want J.J. Watt on my team. Uh, I mean, he basically last year, uh, based upon the interview, said that I will compete my heart out for any team that I'm playing for, uh, whether win or loss, you know, whether they have zero wins or you know, 12 wins, it's, he's going to go out there and perform and give you his best. And if that's not, you know, 
in every day or every uh, football coach's dream of a player, I don't know what else you can get. And um, so many destinations, like I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to teams like uh, Cleveland or, um, you know, Indianapolis, you mentioned as well. Uh, I did see uh, one interesting post a couple of days ago that said um, it basically had a picture of him in a Cardinals jersey. And I don't know if uh, DeAndre Hopkins quoted it himself or if it was uh, somebody else quoted it, but it said, let's finish what we started. Um, and that would be pretty cool if he, he gets a nod to go to Arizona and join his former teammate and provide to a very young team, but, you know, bring a veteran presence that will probably turn that team around and give uh, Cliff Kingsbury uh, uh, something to be happy about. Um, but then we can also see him go to a team like, you know, Green Bay, like you mentioned, Ronnie, and that would be, uh, you know, a dream come true for Aaron Rodgers. And it would finally give him a player um, that he hasn't had for a while. Uh, I think the last person that I can think of being a defensive leader is probably Clay Matthews for the Packers. And, and if J.J. Watt can be that, you know, that kind of glue guy on the defense that is a leader, um, you know, somebody can come in and make a difference and provide for Aaron Rodgers in addition to all the young squad and the young team that they have. Um, that'd be very good. But listen, as for the free agency, you're always going to have players like uh, Deshaun Jackson who are veterans going out there and, and you know, trying to find a second chance or, or in, in Deshaun Jackson's case, uh, a last chance opportunity. Um, and it's always interesting to see, in my eyes, uh, all the players who are not, I would say, neglected, but they're flying under the radar and signed and then finally go on a team and make a difference. And um, we see that a lot because at the top of the list, it's always players like J.J. Watt or, you know, players like Leonard Williams who are going out there and, and these top signees. But what about the guys who are, you know, top 10 and below uh, who, are, who can go out there and make a difference, be that, you know, guy who goes from being a substitute to now starting for a team. I think that's those are the guys who always look out for. And, you know, uh, Ronnie, I'm sure you could probably agree with me. Um, that's Those are the types of guys I hope the Giants sign and not waste $60, $70 million of cap space on signing, you know, one player who will decide to either sit out or not perform to, to his expectations. But listen... I'm just hoping that the Giants don't screw up this free agency and, and they can probably, um, you know, get get another player that can boost that offense up. I know I, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen likes of Kenny Galladay or um, Kenny Stills even, I believe, um, on the radar for the Giants. So, listen, either of those two, I'd be very happy. Yeah, KR, you bring up a good point about all these under-the-radar free agents because unlike in recent years, there are just so many really good free agents, especially in the wide receiver group. So after those top four guys like the Galladays, the Allen Robinsons, they're still very solid guys, like you said, Stills, Curtis Samuel. And these are guys who are going to get contracts that are probably a little less than they deserve because the guys at the top of the crop for the wide receivers are going to be getting such crazy contracts for receivers, probably around 20 mil per year. So it's those guys that I could see a team like the Giants that aren't a piece away, but might take a swing on a young guy like a Curtis Samuel, who's like the seventh or eighth best receiver, but might slide under the radar because there are just so many other guys ahead of him in the pecking order for the wide receivers. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I would like to see Curtis Samuel um, on the Giants as well. I think that that you know that'd be a good move, good asset um, for Daniel Jones as well. Um, I've heard some. There's some rumors that the Rams have uh, inquired about Eagles tight end Zach Ertz. Obviously, we knew that there was um, that um, there might have that uh, Zach Ertz there. They um, he was going to leave. He was potentially going to be. He's not expected to return uh, next season. Um, so that's, they've under really, you know, they've had this new makeover now with firing head coach Doug Peterson and then getting away of Carson Wentz, you know, Zach Ertz could be on the way out as well. Uh, if the Rams get Zach Ertz, so that's a good get um, for the Rams, just because now, you know, what other weapon for Matt Stafford um, for the Rams? 
that could be really interesting as well. Um, but the uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I think the Rams are you know kind of setting themselves up for success. They Matt Stafford. Uh, they have a better offensive line there. They have a better defense than Detroit. So it's a good spot for the Rams to be in if they're trying to push forward to get Zach Ertz. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, just the other factors, there's a lot of teams kind of in the bottom tier um, of the league's teams that didn't make the playoffs that have a lot of cap room to work with. And, and I think that that's going to come into play. I mean, there's just teams like like the Miami Dolphins are in such an interesting spot just because of the way that they've constructed this roster. I mean, they kind of came out of nowhere last year to have a really good year, and they still have a top pick uh, in this year's draft. So they can do a lot of damage. I mean, Jake, you mentioned obviously the Rams. You know, that was a huge get to get Matt Stafford. But I think the NFL is just going to look extremely different as we get to season start um, uh, for next year. I just think that there's just going to be so many moves, especially with quarterbacks, too. I mean, I just don't think we've seen this much movement in the quarterback uh, position in, in a very long time. I mean, uh, you know, it's just it's just going to be weird to not see Matt Stafford in Detroit and to see Jared Goff um, not with the Rams. And, and Dak Prescott, where's Dak Prescott going to go? Is Deshaun Watson going to move? Does that mean Tua Tagovailoa is still a Dolphin? Like, there's just many questions to ask about the quarterback market. And and you guys mentioned the wide receiver market. I mean, that's the Giants' obviously big, biggest need, as you mentioned, Kaor. I mean, I really like Kenny Galladay. I think he's always been an underrated player. He's a physical guy, and the Giants really have been missing that number one guy. I mean, Darius Slayton is really their deep threat. So I think that getting a guy like Kenny Galladay would really make a lot of sense for them. But they have a lot of cap concerns as well with, with how they're going to manage that defensive line that was so good last year. Um and obviously, you know, they, they have guys like Bradbury and Logan Ryan who had a lot of, they got a lot of success out of by getting guys that, again, weren't offered these big deals. So I, I kind of like what both what everybody's really said is that there's going to be a lot of guys out there that that teams like the Giants or teams that are kind of fringe teams um, that they can really go after and, and make deals with and and figure out. Because, again, there's a lot of guys every year that really pick up from their from their numbers um, from the previous. So. I think that it's going to be really interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that look a lot different um, going forward. I, I Again, I think um, there's playoff teams that look different. I think that the Colts have more upside now. I love Phillip Rivers. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a more stable player. But if they can get Carson Wentz to even close to where he was a few years ago, that can be a really, really dangerous team. And um, I think there's just a lot of movement, especially quarterback-wise and and I think that's really going to contribute to a really interesting rest of the offseason. And, of course, a lot of change for next year as well. Yeah, Ronnie. I mean, I definitely agree. And I think that, you know, like you said, it's going to be weird to see, you know, Matt Stafford, Jared Goff on new teams. I think it's also, it's just going to be weird seeing, you know, Phillip Rivers retire, Drew Brees retire. I, I don't even, I don't think Drew Brees officially announced it yet, unless I, I missed that. But I think, you know, he's most likely out or retired. So those two guys gone, it's kind of similar to what KOR was saying on, you know, can we just talk with, there's going to be a lot of, you know, big tennis stars retiring soon. It's the same thing in the NFL where we just saw those two quarterbacks gone. I mean, Tom Brady, I don't know if he'll ever retire, but he might be gone within a couple of years. You know, it's interesting with Tom Brady because I like, it's similar, like Peyton Manning up until like his year when he was like 38, he was still playing like pretty good. But then by when he was 39, he was like awful. I mean, the Broncos won the Super Bowl that year, but that was kind of they were getting carried by their defense. So considering Peyton Manning from year uh, from age thirty eight to thirty nine became a lot worse. I don't have the numbers pulled up right in front of me, but I looked at that once before. So I think that Tom Brady, maybe if he if his drop off comes, I mean, I don't know if it ever will, but it might be all at once. So he might retire soon. So it's weird to see a lot of guys that we know for a long time be gone. I mean, Eli retired after the 2019 season. You know, we've seen a lot of big quarterbacks go, but it's also exciting to see this next generation. You know, not everyone pans out. Not everyone quarterback becomes a star, but we kind of are getting to see, you know, now we know Patrick Mahomes is going to be with us for the next couple decades, probably. Deshaun Watson, wherever he ends up, you guys have mentioned him a few times. It'll be fun to see, you know, what team he gets settled in on 
if he eventually gets traded and to see him play for a couple decades. So I know, obviously, quarterback's not the only position. You guys have had a lot of good insight on those defensive stars, on the wide receivers. You know, O-linemen don't get a lot of love. But I think in terms of the quarterback, like the quarterback situation this offseason, considering how important the position is, it's interesting to see what's going on. A lot of exciting stuff. A lot of exciting stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of um, exciting, you know, news coming forward um, in the NFL um, where different players are going to go as well. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really wild free agency um, as well. We're, you know, do you guys think that uh, Drew Brees has got another year left in him? I know there's been a couple uh, stuff online saying that he might come back, he might not. But what do you guys think about, you know, Drew Brees, the Saints and them trying to get back to where they were. Obviously, they lost early in the playoffs, but what do you guys think about, you know, Drew Brees? Is he going to come back, and how do you think the Saints will be benefit? You know, maybe they need a free agent or something. I don't think that Drew Brees comes back just because, you know, based on that playoff game versus the Bucks, you could pretty you could tell he was throwing interceptions. His arm strength wasn't really there. I, his, I, don't, I think he had, like, four like yards per attempt it was something very low and like his like performance through the year it's just I I don't think he'll be back I don't know if that's like in the scenes like best interest and I know that I I mean I'm sure he wants to play like I feel bad saying that and we've seen him put up like all those 5,000 yard passing seasons we've seen him win a Super Bowl but I don't think he'll be back I think he's gonna retire yeah, I'm with Doug on this one. Uh, the Saints have reached like the same point in the playoffs every year, and then some bad call or some collapse, they lose. And I just feel like Drew Brees, if they go, I don't think they're good enough to win the Super Bowl. So, I think that Drew Brees, he's got his shoulder issues. He can't throw that deep anymore. I think that it's just time to call it a career and let the Saints have a rebuild at quarterback. Maybe they'll stick with Jameis Winston or look for other options, but. I think it's finally time that one of the all-time greats that we've been lucky enough to watch ends up calling it a career. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be interesting uh, going forward as well. Um, I want to switch over to baseball for a little bit um, as well, just because spring training uh, starts next weekend, but pitchers catchers reported a couple days ago um, as well. The Mets signed uh, Taiwan Walker to a deal. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on uh with baseball and everything um as well um it's gonna be interesting with baseball coming up with spring training back um you know preview a little bit of baseball um as well baseball has a, a 0.3 percent positive COVID-19 rate right now which is pretty good during their uh intake testing um which is really good uh to see as well um and then I want to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr.'s that big deal that we we saw just yesterday that came out 14 years 340 million extension for uh Fernando Tatis Jr. he's you know great player at the Padres he's 22 um he's just turned 22 in January um so that's a really big um that's almost like an investment fund amount of money like that's a lot of money uh that he's getting basically about you know 27.2 um uh, before, but he's it's the longest in baseball history, third largest in terms of total money. It's a lot for him. Um, uh, and it's, you know, this is the kind of player that Padres trying to go back up there. And I wanted to, I know, Ronnie, you're a big baseball guy, so I'll throw it to you first. You know, this is a big deal for Fernando Tatis Jr. We know that he's a really good player um, as well. Career, yeah, batting average last year was 277. Before that was 317. But, you know, the Padres are on the come up and they're trying to challenge the Dodgers for that top spot. Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually kind of crazy because I think this is a better deal for the Padres than it is for Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, I think, same here. I think that obviously it gives him a lot of security. And I'm not, again, like Fernando Tatis making a, over like about $340 million over that contract. He's never going to see half that money. So at a certain point, you're like, he he's going to be fine, uh, $340 million. But 
I believe it's about twenty four million a year, which is you know for baseball that's gonna go uh, that's gonna go up at a certain point. That's gonna go way up. I mean, Mike Trout, his contract, I believe it's upwards of thirty five million dollars a year. So this is not like one of those contracts where you're saying, you know, Fernando Tatis absolutely robbed the Padres. The Padres, I think, got the best possible deal they could have gotten. They have him till he's 36, which is a long time, uh, a long, long time, a, a ways from uh, this moment in time. But it's, uh, it, it's a great contract. Fernando Tatis, one of the most um, exciting players in baseball and one of the true five-tool uh, five talents in the game. I mean, Mike Trout is kind of the, the main guy. I mean, five tools. You got power, contact, good arm, good fielder, and has speed. Fernando Tatis does all of that. He hits for contact. He's a really good power hitter at the shortstop position. He's such a good fielder, and his arm is ridiculously strong at short. And then if you've seen the way he runs the bases, it's just it's extremely amazing, and he's going to get even smarter at that. He, he's kind of one of those guys that he'll run the bases, and, and sometimes he'll get thrown out in, in certain situations where maybe you don't want him to, but he has all the speed, all the kind of instincts that you need to be a really good base runner for years. And uh, it's just a really good contract for them. Now, obviously, the Padres, um, a few of their contracts, uh, Manny Machado's contract looks okay right now. Eric Hosmer has not really been the player they've really wanted him to be. They extended Will Myers. He hasn't really been the player. But they have a lot of talent um, still. Tommy Pham, Jake Cronenworth, guys really coming out um, on offense last year. And then, as you mentioned, they added so much pitching this year. I mean, Blake Snell coming over from the Rays. You Darvish had a really, really underrated year last year. He's one of the top pitchers now in baseball. Um, they they got a, a really underrated player in Joe Musgrove from the from the Pirates, um, who I think is going to be really solid. So, and they already had guys like Chris Paddock. Danelson Lamette had a really, really good year. So, talk about a really good starting rotation. And um, you know, as you said, they they have to compete with the Dodgers. They have to compete with rotations like the Dodgers, the Mets. Um, deep rotations that we've seen really been built that have been built um, this year in the NL. And I think it's one of those years where um, for the first time in a while, I feel like the NL is much, much more um, top heavy. And I think better than the AL. Um, I think that obviously the Dodgers winning the world series happened um, and, and that made it better. But with Trevor Bauer signing with them, that, that only makes them, even more dangerous. And, and they, they also apparently re-signed Justin Turner, who's a really big leader for that team. And then obviously the, the, a, the, uh, the NL East is extremely good as well. I mean, the Mets, the Phillies got a little bit better in the bullpen. That was their biggest issue last year. I think every team in the, in the NL East expects to compete. Um, even the Marlins who made the playoffs unexpectedly last year, I think are a really interesting team. So um, that, that, uh, that league got much deeper, and uh, I think that um, with, with these signings, the Padres are really making themselves contenders for years to come, and I think they've finally gotten it right down in San Diego and, and maybe uh, maybe the chance to win a World Series with this core as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you talk about good rotations and the Mets. I'm a big Mets fan. You look at the Mets, like when Syndergaard comes back in the summer after he, you know, he's, he's injured, he's not supposed to come back to like June, July. It would be DeGrom, Carlos Carrasco, Marcus Stroman, Syndergaard, and then Taiwan Walker, which is, I think that's one of the best rotations. It's a top five rotation across the board. It's one of the best, if not the best in the NL East. Um, that's definitely stronger than the Nationals uh, rotation as well. Um, I think Walker's gonna. It's gonna. He's gonna pitch regardless of whether Syndergaard returns. They're paying him the starter money for a reason. Um, so I think that's a really good uh, matchup. Uh, I think Carrasco is such an underrated signing for that pitching staff for the Mets, and I think that the Stroman just improving year after year is gonna um, help a lot um, as well. Um, it's gonna be an interesting season for the Mets. Um, they have a lot of upside. Uh, right now, and um, they that's a good deal they got with Walker. Um, you know, you bring back DeGrom, who's looking for another Cy Young. Um, he wants to bring them to a championship. You, of course, Dylan Batanzas in the bullpen um, is great. Um, I really think that this team just, you know, we saw last season, you know, Dominic Smith played multiple positions. They brought in James McCann, of course, Francisco Lindor um, at shortstop uh, instead of Rosario. Rosario was 
okay. He was mediocre at best, but he wasn't the direction the Mets wanted to go in. Um, he was a highly praised farm prospect that they brought up. Um, but, you know, Lindor at short, Alonzo at first, outfield deep with Conforto um, as well with Albert Almora, um, really good team. Jose Martinez, like that's a good outfield. J.D. Davis can play third. He can play outfield. Um, you have a really good team. Jeff McNeil outfield as well. You have a really good outfield um, with those players. I think it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to watch the Mets um, and really to see how this team uh, plays. It'll be probably mechanic catcher Alonzo at first. Uh, McNeil can play outfield or second. He'll probably stay at second. And then JD at third, Lindor at short. That's a much improved outfield. And especially we saw with, you know, they don't need Jed Lowry because he was injured. He didn't really produce as much. Now he's within the, uh, he's on the Oakland A's, but he didn't do much for the Mets and they don't really need him because especially they have a good, you know, we saw what, um, you know, Jonathan Villar is decent, and then you could put Smith in the outfield. You could put him in the infield. He can play multiple positions, but then you still have Jose Martinez, Brendan Nimmo, Albert Alorma, Conforto. Like, this is a really good team, and I think that they're on the right track, Ronnie. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Jake. I mean, everybody coming into the offseason, I think every Mets fan with uh, Steve Cohen buying the team, was looking for them to go after guys like Trevor Bauer, George Springer. Um, JT Real Muto, guys like that that are going to cost them a lot of money. I think they did better um, than than if they had gone out and signed one of those guys. I think um, the trade for Lindor was really, really good. Um, obviously, you mentioned, I mean, Ahmed Rosario uh, had a lot of upside, but it just it wasn't going to develop uh, as well. I think he's going to have a better chance to develop with the Indians. We know how good uh, Francisco Lindor is. I, I just don't think there's much of a doubt about it. This is the guy that switch hits. Um, he, he's another kind of five, five tool player. I mean, not as much speed, but he plays great defense. Um, he hits again from, for power contact. And, uh, again, I, I, I had talked about it all, all, uh, all off season. I think Carrasco being in that deal was the most, was the best part about it. I think that obviously you want Lindor, um, but to get another guy that can just be a starting option and, and has really just been, absolutely underrated his entire career um, in Carlos Carrasco is huge. Um, but I, I think the other factor is that they went out and signed a lot of kind of low-key relievers. Um, they, they went out and got uh, Trevor May, who I think is really underrated, played really well in Minnesota. Um, they just got a lot of those guys. Uh, they went out last, uh, last trade deadline and got Miguel Castro, who was doing really, really well for the Orioles. And, and then they kind of signed a, a few fringe guys like Jordan Yamamoto, who was on the Marlins, who was a really, really up and coming, good up and coming uh, starter for the Marlins. And and even Sean Reed Foley, I mean, they have a lot of upside on this pitching staff now. They didn't go after the huge, huge names, um, but I think they have a lot of depth. I think they have a lot a lot better uh, of options in the uh, the bullpen. I don't think they're going to have to always rely on Edwin Diaz, Yuris Familia, and, uh, and Dylan Betances. So, I think that uh, even as a Yankee fan, I can appreciate what the Mets have done. Um, and I think, honestly, I think they did better than I think a lot of people um, think they did. I think James McCann, again, he's not JT Romuto, but the stats are not that far off when he's hitting well. So um, I, I think people are, are looking at the Mets and saying maybe they could have done a little bit more. I think they did exactly what they needed to. And um, it's going to be tough to win that division. I think, um, again, as I mentioned, the Phillies, uh, they got better in the bullpen. Um, they they already had a really good core. Obviously, they're paying a lot for Bryce Harper and JT Romuto and guys like that. But um, they're looking to make the playoffs. I think uh, we've seen the Braves, the really really solid team. That's going to be a big hurdle for the Mets if they want to win the division. And and the Nationals got better. I mean, they they went out and uh, traded for Josh Bell from Pittsburgh. They didn't give up a whole lot. Um, and uh, they still have that top three of Strasburg, Scherzer, and uh, Patrick Corbin. So. Uh, those are not easy teams for the Mets. I think they play in the toughest division in baseball. Um, and I think there's a lot of optimism, um, but I think it's cautious, cautious optimism. I think they've, they've had really good talent for the last couple of years and really it hasn't materialized this year. They have the new owner, they have the, the, the new face in Francisco Lindor. And, and I think that's really a team that, that can take the next step and they need to, um, they just really do need to. And, and then on the other side of the New York market, of course, the Yankees, I mean, I'm happy with the moves they made. I, I think that they were kind of cap-strapped. Um, obviously, they have their ace in Garrett Cole. I was unhappy that they didn't sign Masahiro Tanaka back, but 
Um, they went out and got um, Corey Kluber, who's been a Cy Young Award winner. He's been absolutely unreal for the Indians in the past, uh, as well as Jamison Tyon, who's really underrated, throws really hard, and has a great curveball. Um, and, and, of course, the biggest signing was just getting GJ, DJ LeMahieu back because he was the guy that made everything happen for them. So I think both New York markets are, are, um, are really good this year. I think it's going to be a really interesting season. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I wouldn't count out, uh, you know, an all-New York World Series. I really wouldn't. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the Mets have, have a lot to, uh, to beat in front of them. Obviously, the Dodgers and the Padres really tough. Um, and then the Yankees, I mean, there's some really good teams in the AL, like the Blue Jays only got better. They, the White Sox only got better. Those kind of teams that are really up and coming as well. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a really interesting season, but it's really interesting to see um, how just one offseason can make, uh, you know, the New York Mets really a, a, an instant World Series contender. Um, and I, I got to give them props for what they've done um, over the course of the winter. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good spot for the Mets right now. I um, I'm very happy with how the Mets have organized it as well. Uh, Jared, correct me if you're wrong. Are you a Mets fan as well? Yeah, big Mets fan. I guess I'll touch on. Yeah, what do you think of the these moves they're making? Um, and what do you really you know anticipate to see from them? Because spring training about a week and a half away now. Yeah, I was reading something earlier that says that the Mets have done something they haven't done in a while, which is get depth. Because we've seen in recent years where the Mets are scrambling to bring up starters from AAA. Exactly. Bring up anyone from AAA just to fill a spot. And finally, since I guess since 2015, the Mets have players that are like someone like Tywin Walker, who usually hasn't been hurt in a couple years, someone who can eat up innings, which the Mets haven't had in a while because if they need a fifth starter, there's not normally a fifth starter in the MLB. They have to fly someone to uh, to New York last minute just to start every fifth day, which has been detrimental to the team, which is why we see that the Mets have some of these games where they give up six, seven runs. And a couple years ago, the Mets couldn't even produce more than, like, three runs. Obviously, now the lineup is a lot better. I personally think that they're going to win the NL East. The analysts have been projecting around, like, an 80% chance to win the NL East. I do think that a lot of it depends on Noah Syndergaard. If Syndergaard is good with his rehab and comes back in June, I think that really, really helps them. But if he's a little behind, and right now they're saying he's on track, but you never know what happens with the Tommy John surgery. So if somehow Syndergaard is a little behind track, comes back in August, they could be in a dogfight for the NL East where them, the Braves, and Nationals are all within a couple games of each other. And knowing the Mets, we've seen in the past, they collapse. So if they are in a position, they need to be able to put themselves in a position where a slight collapse really wouldn't hurt them. I'd have no issue with them making the wild card. It's very possible. One of the uh, California teams, either the Dodgers or the Padres, one of them will definitely already have one of the wild card spots. So the question is, can the Mets outperform the other solid teams that there are in the NL? Like the, because if the say if the Braves win the division, then the Mets just have to outperform the Nationals for the, the for that other wild card spot. So. I think that there's a lot that's going to happen in the NL. Like Ronnie said, I do think the NL is a lot better than the AL this year. I've been watching the MLB uh, Network Top 100 players, and most of the top 10 players are all in the NL, which has been it's been a long time coming for the NL. The AL has dominated the sport for a recent for a recent time now. Obviously, the Dodgers are better. The Nationals just won the World Series, but I definitely think that there's a lot of good teams in the NL, and I do think that the Mets have had the offseason that people weren't expecting. People were expecting the big George Springer, the big Trevor Bauer, but I think that the Mets made the right signings to put themselves in a position to compete, and hopefully, like they did in 2015, maybe they'll make a midseason trade deadline, which I definitely think the Mets will do. So if, they're, if they get hot, they make a move at the deadline, I see no issues with the team down the stretch, and if they don't collapse, I would not be surprised. Like Ronnie said, maybe we do see a New York-New York World Series, which would be awesome to see. We just have to hope that the New York fans can crowd the stadium because that would be a World Series for the ages. Yeah, it definitely would, and I did see some somewhere that they're most likely going to have fans because it's outdoors. Um, I'm itching to get back to a game, um, so I'm sure that they'll have um, fans as well. They did release the schedules um, for the teams Um I'm pulling it up now. I want to look at the look at the Mets like regular season schedule, the non spring training uh, schedule, and you look at um, 
you know, the Mets and to see really how they're going to um, be better um, and improve. Uh, this is a good, this is a good Mets team. They're trying to uh, get back uh, into the swing of things as well. Um, but yeah, so they start in April, um, April 1st, they're at Washington and they have a three game set with nationals, three game set with the Phillies and they host the Marlins to get that division matchup. But the nationals are playing, you know, two series is with them in the first month Phillies. They get, you know, two series as well. So they're going to have a good, you know, seeing the Phillies a lot more, um, that Rocky series in May is always interesting. Um, it's always like end of May and the Braves too. So that's going to be interesting. Um, the Padres in June is a big one. Um, the Phillies as well. Um, the Subway series, the first game is like July 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. They'll play at the uh, Yankees on the 4th of July, uh, which will be interesting. And then they, um, that's the right now. And then um, they'll host the Yankees for a three-game set uh, in September. Um, but that summer, that uh, July is pretty packed. The Brewers and the Pirates back-to-back. And then Braves, Yankees, Brewers, Pirates, all-star break, then the Pirates. So that's like the bulk of the schedule there, Jared. Those are like the biggest games against some good contenders too. Yeah, we've seen in the past that the Mets have, I guess, I'll call it like a summer collapse. We saw it two years ago. They went 5-20 and 20 in June. And if in the heart of the season you're winning 5 out of 25 games, you should not expect to make the playoffs. The Mets didn't make the playoffs. The fans were going crazy because the Mets started off the season winning like 12 out of the first like 14, 15 games. They were playing really well. And I just think that I would not put it out of this team for a collapse. Like I'm worried it's going to happen. That's why I think Syndergaard has to come back in June. I think they have to make a mid-season trade deadline move because this team, like being a classic Mets fan, you're just expecting, you're just expecting the worst. You're expecting a collapse. And I just think that the Met, this Mets team is good enough to battle back from a collapse. But like we've seen in the past, when the Mets go, when the Mets start going downhill, they usually don't really turn things around. And then at that point, the season's over. We're back in the off season, and then we have these same issues with the Mets. They don't sign anybody. They sign washed up vets. And it's like the cycle of being a New York Mets fan. Yeah, yeah, it, it totally is. Um, but Ronnie, do you have any uh, food for thought about the Yankees and what do you expect for the Yankees from a Yankee fan perspective? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I I do uh, also want to touch upon. I mean, those pi- those games against the Pirates, I think those are a gift for the Mets. I I think that they are. Um, they're right there for the taking. So I'm hoping, I mean, even as a Yankee fan that again, you know, I keep up with what the Mets are doing. Um, those are games that if they lose, that is a real collapse because the Pirates are terrible. Um, they're just not a good team. I think the Brewers are, are better, but um, those are games that they should win. Um, and we, even, we haven't even touched upon the Cardinals yet with, with the big move they made to get Nolan Arenado. So that's another really good team in the NL. But going to the AL, um, as I kind of mentioned, I, I think the NL is better. Um, I think the AL uh, has been dominated kind of by teams like the Astros um, for the last few years. I think the Astros got markedly worse. I think they're much older now. Um, and obviously, that for, for um, obvious reasons, they don't have as much of an advantage as they used to. So um, I think they got worse. Um, I think the, the NL West is, um, is a lot of rebuilding teams. I think the Oakland A's um, really have the have the leg up, but they lost some really good players in Marcus Semien and Liam Hendricks, guys like that. Um, so they still have Matt Chapman, Matt Olson. I think that's still a playoff team. Um, and the Angels are another team that I thought that they were going to go out and get Trevor Bauer. I think that was the team that really needed him most. And uh, they just seems like the same old thing with the Angels, right? I mean, they have Mike Trout. They have guys like Shohei Otani and Anthony Rendon, but it's all about that starting pitching for the, uh, for the angels. And I, I just don't, I just don't know if they've made enough uh, moves to get, to get to uh, the postseason and in maybe even leapfrog the A's. So they're kind of an interesting team. Um, I think they're both going to overtake Houston, um, which, which again, I'm happy about, but I just don't think Houston is, is as good. And then I think the central got worse. Uh, Cleveland has been really good for the last couple of years and, they made a lot of moves to trade away guys. I mean, Corey Kluber was gone before last season, but he was their ace. Obviously, Francisco Lindor is gone. Um, guys like that, Trevor Bauer was gone a while ago. So they've really kind of deconstructed that Cleveland team. I don't think they're going to be very good. Uh, obviously, the the Tigers and Royals, I don't expect much out of either. 
Um, and the, the Twins are okay. Um, I still think they're a really good team. But as a Yankee fan, we've owned the Twins for, for years. So I'm not, I'm not worried about the Twins. The White Sox did get better. I think the White Sox win that division. Um, they added some guys. Uh, I really like the addition of um, Liam Hendricks to the bullpen. They added Lance Lynn from Texas, who had a really underrated year last year. So that's a really good team as well. And I think the other team that really got a lot better was the Toronto Blue Jays, um, which unfortunately play in the Yankees division. We play them first this year. Um, but Hunjin Ryu is really, really good uh, as their ace. And uh, they added George Springer. They added Kirby Yates, who's a really underrated closer. Um, guys like that. And then they have a lot of depth uh, in terms of young pitching as well. So that's a team that I think will take a step forward. I think the Rays, obviously they made the World Series last year. Um, I think they took a step back trading Blake, Blake Snell. I still think they're going to be good. I still think they're going to be a force um, because the Rays always seem to be in it. But um, as for the Yankees, I think that, again, they've done enough to, again, I think win that division. I think it was surprise last. it was a surprise last year that they didn't beat the Rays for that division. Um, they really played poorly against the Rays. So I think they're really hungry for this. Um, they know that th this group of guys, you know, this is the group of guys that needs to get it done. I mean, they have their core, Aaron Judge, DJ LeMayhew, Garrett Cole, and uh, a lot of guys that are really, really good um, players. I mean, that they've really developed well in Gio Urshela and, and Glaber Torres and guys like that. Um, Clint Frazier's finally getting a chance, and I still think the bullpen's very good. Zach Britton's extremely underrated. Um, I think Chapman's a little overrated, but I still think he's extremely, extremely effective. Um, and uh, I, I think that the Yankees have done enough to be the team to beat in the uh, AL. So I think, um, again, it's going to be about beating the teams you're supposed to in, in the Red Sox and the Orioles in the division. But also you need to gain some ground on, on the Blue Jays because I think the Blue Jays are going to be right behind you. Um, and I think that the Rays are also going to be in the mix as well. So um, I think while the NL is much better and I think it's um, much more top-heavy, I think that the AL has a lot of teams that are kind of on the fringe, um, teams that you can see really um, playing well and uh, making that next step forward. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting. And, and uh, again, I think that you have to avoid what happened last year and letting the Rays get through or the Blue Jays. Um, and you, again, you have to take care of business um, and you have to finally reach a World Series for the first time since 2009. You have to find a way to uh, to get to a World Series. So. Um, again, I think both New York teams are really in good spots and, uh, it's going to be a really, really fun season to watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, but good MLB talk right here. We got rapid fire coming up on the other side of this break. This is the WRSU crew Friday edition on WRSU FM, New Brunswick and online at WRSU.org. And time for Rapid Fire, the final 14 minutes or so of Friday's crew. And there's uh, some interesting news for the March Madness tournament. Um, the NCAA is going to allow a limited number of fans for the Division One men's basketball tournament. Up to 25% capacity with social distancing will be permitted at all rounds, including the Final Four. It was, the decision was made in conjunction with state and local health authorities in Indiana. Uh, masks are required. But they will. The entire tournament, the NCAA, is in uh, Indianapolis. Um, all rounds, the final first four, the final four, the Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteen, the two initial rounds, all of that is there. Uh, the final four will be at Lucas Oil Stadium, and then the early rounds are going to be spread across the state um, campuses at Indiana University, at uh, Purdue, um, also at like Bankers Life Fieldhouse where the Pacers play, Hinkle Fieldhouse where Butler is. Um, IUPUI's arena. So there's this stuff. This is uh, some big news right now. But what are you guys' takes on this with the uh, NCAA tournament now having a 25% capacity uh, for fans? I mean, that's definitely super exciting for anyone who gets to cop tickets just because, like, I'd want to be there definitely. So anyone that does get to go, that's exciting. And also just watching on TV, like the fake crowd noise, like depending on how the production goes, sometimes you notice it, sometimes you don't. But definitely when there's, like, real fans there, it's like a bit more it's it's more exciting when you're watching on TV to like see fans, you hear them react, 
something bad happens, and they might boo. Like that natural element to be back is just it, it's exciting to have for us. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like, especially in college sports, um, or, or in college basketball specifically, everybody kind of waits for uh, March Madness, and uh, you know, just having some fans rather than none is going to be um, you know, an exciting. Thing, especially for the athletes who have been playing this season with no fans at all. So um, definitely a change, in, change to the atmosphere, but still keeps that legacy of March Madness alive. Yeah, definitely. Um, next up um, as well, Kaori, you'll be interested to hear about this. Chelsea coach says there's no decision yet on Christian Pulisic's uh, future. Um, there's no decision made for the summer. He is doubtful. He's doubt for tomorrow's Premier League trip to Southampton. Um, he missed the recent victory at Sheffield United due to personal reasons, but he's had a lack of game time that's fueled some speculation he could leave. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, he's, you know, one of their uprising um, players, and he's, you know, a United States star. Um, I mean, I always kind of, you know, love to see seeing him play whenever he does play for Chelsea. So, I mean, it is a blow to them, but um, I, don't, I think Chelsea's, on a bit of a run and all other players are in good form. So it's just going to be, um, you know, business as usual for them. So just going to hope the best for Pulisic and hopefully everything's okay. And he'll be back on the pitch soon. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, there's, uh, let's see, there's some other stuff here as well. The, um, also the Panthers, they've increased their cap space to 28 and a half million. Um, not only did they release Trey Boston, they also released punter Michael Pilardi, defensive end Stefan Weatherly, and they also released Pro Bowl defensive tackle Kawan Short on Wednesday. Uh, they've more than doubled their cap space, which is around $8.5 million after the end of this season. They cleared a lot of cap space right there, and uh, their uh, moves now of the team, they're strapped for cap room to near the top 10 uh, overall. Um Carolina had offered Detroit the number eight pick and Teddy Bridgewater and a fifth round pick for Matt Stafford, although he went to the Rams and the Panthers right now are clearing up some room for Deshaun Watson. What do you guys think about that? I think it's a solid landing yeah, think- spot for him. They can use some of that money to get maybe another receiver and then hopefully draw Watson into them. I don't think it will be a bad idea. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Jared. I, I, I think that this is all... A result of uh, the the Panthers liking their coaching staff, uh, they love Matt Rule and uh, and Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. So I think um, that they have a lot of belief in in what they can do. I think it's similar to how the Rams had a lot of uh, belief in what Sean McVay could do, so they were willing to go out and get Matt Stafford. So um, again, I think the Panthers are a few years away, but uh, it's been a really quick rebuild for them, and and it's been a really successful one as well. Yeah, definitely. It has been, you know, we'll see what happens um, with this um, this cap space as well. Um, the uh, um, the NBA teams um, to soon uh, see the rest of the schedule, the draft of second half schedule as early as this weekend. The NBA is expected to share with teams a draft of the league's second half schedule or maybe next week. Um the NBA released only the first half of the schedule in order to build in flexibility to make up games postponed due to the health and safety protocols um, as well. Uh, teams have more games to make up now to reach the league's 72-game target as well. Um, so what do you guys think about this? The, there's been a, the uh, league officials have also expressed a desire for each to play 72 games if possible uh, for teams. Um, also there seems like Washington and Memphis who have had several games postponed to play more often over the rest of the season. And Christian, I'll throw it to you first. What do you uh, make of this as an NBA fan? I think it's a pretty good idea. Obviously, you know, a lot of games they expected for stuff to get postponed. So it just leaves up some wiggle room, you know, so, and it leaves for some players to, you know, just get some time off until those games, you know, get an actual schedule day. So I think it was uh, good on the NBA to actually, you know, think of that in advance so that they didn't have just games thrown on random days towards the end of the season. And K.O.R., you too. Um, there is also the Pacers Rockets, of course, with the Houston, um, what's, what's going on with Houston and um, the weather-related in, uh, 
issues they're having. The Pacers Rockets was postponed. Um, it's very cold there, and they don't have a lot of a lot of people still without power going into the weekend. Um, so what do you think about that and about how the um, the NBA is trying to maneuver this schedule too? Yeah, I mean, you know, we would have thought that earlier in the season it would be, you know, due to COVID concerns, which half of it it is, but um, we do see some natural uh, natural disasters playing a role as well. But I think the NBA is going to be just fine. Uh, there's a reason they cut down, you know, 10 games of the season just to make sure that everything is kind of okay. I'm sure if, you know, other teams are forced to kind of move um, their schedules around, they wouldn't mind it at all, probably for the integrity of the season and just the league as a whole. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I think that's part of the game and part of the circumstances that any uh, professional league is kind of facing this year. Um, I'm just glad they don't have the logistics of, you know, tickets and kind of refunds and everything like that into account because that will be that would be like a bigger headache on top of everything else already um so i think this is you know a a good i guess look into how um you know professional leagues can kind of transition from different conflicts outside of their control uh and kind of make the right decisions um where everybody's kind of benefited. Yeah, definitely. And some other news, the um it was yeah, the uh last night um the LeBron James and Kevin Durant were named captains um for the NBA as well. Um they're going to pick um the remaining players. They're going to pick their remaining 22 All-Stars on March 4th after they got more votes than any other player in the conference. Um but the players joining them in the front court um one as expected, Durant with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid in the starting pool for the East, LeBron with Kawhi Leonard from the Clippers and Nikolai Jokic uh, for the Nuggets as well. Um, the backcourts were very competitive as well with uh, Steph Curry from the Warriors getting a start in of one starter in the West. Uh, Luka Doncic actually tied Damian Lillard as well. Doncic was second in fan voting um, and Doncic will be the pick to start. And then Bradley Beal, the NBA's leading scorer at 32.8 points per game, he's going to be, um, he gets one starting spot as well. And then Kyrie Irving as well will be joining him um, there. And then Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler will be in the front court as well. Um, Devin Booker backcourt um, with LeBron as well. But it's going to be interesting, uh, you know, with all these all-star games, um, the remaining, there's remaining 14 all-star spots as well. Um uh, James Harden, um, you know, Tim trying to get back to the All-Star game as well. Um, James' team is going to be coached by jazz coach Quinn Snyder. And then Doc Rivers will coach uh, the other team. Um, this is going to be, uh, it'll be either him or Steve Nash. Steve Nash could also be an All-Star game coach. would be pretty remarkable in his first year. Um, Rivers will clinch it if either the Sixers win one of their next two games or if the Nets lose to the Clippers. Um, but if none of that happens, Steve Nash will be the coach. What do you guys think of that? Because this is some uh, pretty interesting news with the All-Star game. Kind of. A- I, I want to react to something you said earlier. or I think that because I saw some controversy that Damian Lillard should have been starting over Luka Doncic. And I think that, see, it's tough. That's a legitimate argument. They were, like, both deserving. You look at Doncic, he had 29 points, 9.4 assists, 8.6 rebounds a game. But the problem is the Mavericks are 13 and 15. You know, they're 10th in the West. You look at Lillard, he's got 30 points a game, 8 assists a game, 4 rebounds a game. So about similar numbers, slightly less assists and rebounds. But you look at the Trailblazers' record, they're 18 and 10. So when you have somewhat similar numbers and the Trailblazers are having more team success, I might have given it to Dame. Granted, it was close. Like, it wasn't like... I think it was a terrible decision, so I'm not like super upset that Luca got it over Dame. But for people complaining otherwise, I understand those arguments. Yeah, I'm pretty unhappy with the fact that Luca got it over Dame, just for the fact that Dame got so much more of the player vote. And I feel like that's what we should be going off for the All Star game. It's not a popularity contest. Like I understand Luca got a lot more votes than Dame, but Dame's playing in Portland and Luca's playing in Dallas. Like obviously Luca's going to get more fan vote, and Luca will get all the international fan vote. So. I just think that people have to look at the All-Star game more of like uh, who's the better player and who's having a better season rather than the the popularity contest that the All-Star game has turned into in recent years. Kayor, what do you think about that really quick? 
I mean, listen, the NBA is obviously, um, you know, capped with a lot of talent. Uh, the All-Star game is, again, it's just a fan voting situation that's obviously an attempt for the league to kind of listen to their fans. But um, I don't think it should be taken to heart by any athlete. I mean, if you make it to the All-Star, whether you're starting or whether you're on the team itself, um, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. So um, I don't think all the athletes really go deep into that. Um, and obviously, Damian Lillard's been doubted, you know, his entire career um, recently, more often than not recently, but obviously been proving that wrong. And listen, I'm a Mavs fan. I like uh, Luka. I love Luka. Um, and it's I think it's just the beginning of his, you know, fantastic career. But Again, all-star games are just a stat in my book. I think it depends more on what they do throughout the season and in the postseason and in their career. Yeah, definitely. It's um, That's really um, what it encompasses as well. But that'll do it for the Friday crew. A lot of good topics we discussed as well. But keep it locked to WRSU-FND Brunswick for further programming and online at WRSU.org.